Hello and welcome to the Luxembourg History Podcast, brought to you by RTL Today. My name is Tom Tutton and I'm your host for our first series. Today we're going right back to the start to explore medieval Luxembourg. We'll investigate Luxembourg before it was Luxembourg, hear about some of the myths surrounding the founding of the castle in 963, and tell some of the more interesting stories of the early county of Luxembourg. We hope you'll enjoy the podcast. Believe it or not, there was once a time before Luxembourg. The first historical mention of the lands that now form the Grand Duchy came from no lesser figure than Julius Caesar in his commentaries on the Gallic War. The region had previously been occupied by a Celtic tribe known as the Treveri, who founded an important site at Tittelberg near Differdange in southwest Luxembourg. After Caesar defeated the Gauls in 53 BC, the area eventually became part of the Roman province of Gallia Belgica, headquartered at Augusta Trevororum, which is now known as Trier. It would remain under Roman occupation until the early 5th century, when a new Germanic tribe overran the area, the Franks. Under Clovis I, who is sometimes recognised as the first king of France, the Franks founded the Merovingian dynasty, which would rule over an area stretching from the Pyrenees to the Rhine, from the mid-400s until 751. During this time, the inhabitants of the region converted to Christianity, and an abbey was founded at Echternach, in what is now eastern Luxembourg, in around 700. And as we've previously covered, the founder of this abbey was a monk from northern England called Willibrod, who is the patron saint of Luxembourg. The abbey of Echternach quickly became so important that Frankish leader Charles Martel, an important historical figure due to his defeat of a Muslim army at Tours in 732, had his son baptised there in 710. This son, Pepin the Short, would become the first king of the Carolingian dynasty in 751, and his own son Charlemagne would be crowned the first emperor of the Romans in 1800. After Charlemagne's grandsons fought a brotherly civil war in the 840s, the area that is now Luxembourg became part of the Kingdom of Middle Francia, soon renamed as Lotharingia. By 959, Lotharingia had fallen from a kingdom to a divided duchy that ruled over most of the present-day Benelux area. With power increasingly in the hands of small, powerful lords rather than tribal leaders and kings, there were opportunities for second and younger sons to acquire territories for themselves, and into this picture falls the first lord of Luxembourg, Siegfried. Now Siegfried's parents were probably a certain vigorish, a count with extensive lands in Lotharingia, and Cunigond, a descendant of Charlemagne. Incidentally, Cunigon would later marry Rickwin, Count of Verdun, who had beheaded his first wife for adultery. I'm sure he made for a great stepfather for Siegfried. But Siegfried's family was powerful. His brothers were Alberon, Bishop of Metz, and Frederick, Duke of Upper Lotharingia. Siegfried himself seems to have been born in the 920s. By the 950s, he owned various properties in the wider region and wanted to enlarge his holdings by building a strong castle. He first attempted to buy a site near Baudou in modern-day Belgium, but was apparently turned down by an unfriendly abbot. Luxembourgish legend has it that one day Siegfried set off from a castle of his in Kurish to go hunting, got lost and ended up in the Alzette Valley, ultimately reaching the natural cliffs known as the Buckfields. He looked up at the impressive rock and saw the ruins of an old Roman fort which was called Lucilimburhuk, today better known as Luxembourg, and it immediately struck him, this place was perfect to build a proper castle. In 963, he acquired the rock, the fortress and the surrounding land from the Abbey of St. Maximin in Trier, and the abbey in exchange received land Siegfried owned in Feulen, near Esselbrück. And so Luxembourg was born. So next time you get your free tram to work, or get stuck in an hour-long traffic jam, you can thank or blame Siegfried for your luck, or troubles. 
Local myths, however, suggest that the founding of Luxembourg was a rather more sinister affair. It didn't take long before Siegfried was confronted with a major problem. He did not have enough money to build the castle he'd been dreaming about. Frustrated and angry with himself for giving away his lands in Fulen for a mere rock, he called out the devil's name. And guess who arrived instantly? The mighty Satan himself, offering to give Siegfried the funds to remove the Roman fort and build an impressive castle instead. He would additionally throw in a completely straight road from Siegfried's previous residence in Kurish to his new one on the Bock, with all the work to be completed in a single night. So what was the catch for this seemingly pretty favourable deal? Well, 30 years to the day later, Siegfried would have to give his soul to the devil. With mortality rates much, much lower in those days, this must have seemed like an absolute bargain for Siegfried, who accepted immediately. And sure enough, the next morning, Siegfried woke up to a straight road leading directly to one of the most magnificent castles he'd ever beheld. After a few years, the legend goes, Siegfried realised that he'd literally sold his soul to the devil, so he began to repent heavily by feverishly building churches and chapels and organising daily masses and readings of the Holy Scripture. Time is an unstoppable beast, however, and the dreaded days soon arrived, with Siegfried having reached the magnificent age of about 60. Siegfried invited every knight from the neighbourhood to his castle and organised a large banquet, ordering countless armed soldiers to stand guard and not let anyone into the castle that night, but things did not go quite according to plan. The devil suddenly appeared in the midst of the frightened banquet guests. Resigned to his fate, Siegfried said his goodbyes and slowly followed the devil into another room. The devil grabbed him and the two vanished, leaving only a horrible smell behind. And that was the end of Siegfried, although the veracity of this legend is questioned by some historians, to uh, put it mildly. It wasn't the end of his family, however. Siegfried's sons, nephews and grandsons would dominate the area for the next two centuries. Now technically, the first person recorded as Count of Luxembourg would be Siegfried's great-grandson, Conrad I, who succeeded his father Giselbert in 1059. Unfortunately for the House of Ardennes, as the dynasty was known, the Counts of Luxembourg spent most of their time fighting endless battles with the Archbishops of Trier. Siegfried had come to acquire patronage over many of the most important monasteries and churches in the region, including the famous Abbey of St. Villebroad at Echternach, but also the Abbey of St. Maximin in Trier, which brought the two polities into direct conflict. The bad blood started when Henry I of Luxembourg and Count Frederick of Moselle, both sons of Siegfried, revolted against the Holy Roman Emperor Henry II, who happened to be married to their sister Cunigond. The brothers had wanted to keep the Archbishopric of Trier to themselves, but they were defeated by Henry II, and Trier passed to Popo van Babenberg, yes, that's a real name, in 1016. Henry I and II of Luxembourg were meanwhile both made Dukes of Bavaria, leaving them preoccupied with fighting the Hungarians, but when Henry II's brother Giselbert succeeded him in 1047, he set about renewing the fight with Trier. Giselbert's son Conrad, the first Count of Luxembourg, decided to kidnap the pesky Archbishop of Trier, a decision that got him excommunicated. To make amends, Conrad set off on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem, but he died on the return trip. In turn, Conrad's second son William had some more troubles with Trier, resulting in his own excommunication. In 1136, the male line of Siegfried died off with William's son Conrad II, and Luxembourg passed on to Conrad's cousin, Henry IV of Namur. Having ascended to the county of Luxembourg, Henry promptly decided to fight a war with the Archbishop of Trier, which he lost, ending the long conflict between the two towns. It wasn't all bad for Henry, though, as he managed to acquire the counties of Derbuy and La Roche to add to Namur and Luxembourg, 
and Luxembourg's union with these territories helped to spread French influence into the county, which had previously only looked towards German-speaking Trier. The most famous of all of Luxembourg's medieval rulers is unquestionably the great Ermesinde. The first Countess of Luxembourg is remembered fondly to this day in Luxembourg. She was the daughter of Henry IV, who only fathered her at 72 years of age. At the age of just 11 or 12, she was married off to Theobald, Count of Bar, and after Henry's death in 1196, Ermesinde and Theobald managed to buy her father's county off Otto, Count of Burgundy. Still very young, Ermesinde largely left the running of the county to her husband until he died in 1214. She then married Valeran III, soon to be the Duke of Limburg, who himself died in 1226. And from then until 1247, Ermesinde reigned alone, and she became known in Luxembourgish history as a sort of second founder of Luxembourg. She ruled her county effectively, developing new techniques of administration, and she's best remembered for the charters of freedom that she granted to the towns of Eschternach and Luxembourg in 1236-38 and 1244 respectively. Not all of Luxembourg's rulers had such long and successful reigns, however. In 1288, the War of the Limburg Succession was raging in the region, and Henry VI of Luxembourg, the grandson of Ermesinde, was involved on the side of the Archbishop of Cologne. Now, medieval battles were not usually the bloodiest affairs for noblemen, they sent out their peasants to die, and if they lost, they were often captured and ransomed. The Battle of Warringen was different, however. Henry VI of Luxembourg was killed in the battle along with three of his brothers. Luxembourg was left in the hands of the 11-year-old Henry VII, who somehow managed to survive his early reign and become the first Holy Roman Emperor of the House of Luxembourg, as we'll discuss another time. His son, John the Blind, would be remembered to this day as the man who founded the Schuberfeuer. The first edition of Luxembourg's most famous festival was held in 1340. At the time, it was to begin on the eve of St. Bartholomew's Day, which was Harvest Day, and the Fauer was not a fun fair, but a market where cattle and other agricultural products were sold. Originally, the fair only lasted eight days, but this has now turned into 20. Unfortunately for John the Blind, his success in starting festivals was not matched on the battlefield, which, to be fair, must have been a difficult place to be with limited vision. Just like his grandfather Henry VII, he managed to get himself killed in battle by the British at Cressy in 1346 at the age of 50. And we'll end today's episode with the end of the county of Luxembourg. John the Blind's son, Charles I of Luxembourg, became King of the Romans in 1346, King of Bohemia in the same year, and then King of Italy and Holy Roman Emperor. To put things bluntly, he just didn't have any time for little Luxembourg. He decided to give it to his brother Wenceslaus in 1353. And on top of that, he decided that his brother should be more than a count. So in 1354, the lands surrounding Luxembourg, including Arlon, Derbuy, La Roche, Thionville, Bitburg and Vianden, were merged into the Duchy of Luxembourg, which would last until 1795. And so ended the medieval county of Luxembourg. That's all we've got for today. Thank you for listening, and I hope you'll join us for the next episode of the Luxembourg History Podcast. This episode was based on articles by Gary Erang and Thomas Tutton. Script adaptation and hosting by Thomas Tutton, produced by Martin Johnson and brought to you by RTL Today. Hello, Josh here with some corrections to the credits. This episode was written by Thomas Tutton and produced by Theodor Georgiev. That's it. Tom will be back next week with another episode.